morning, everybody. Welcome to Portico Church Arlington. Uh, we know that everybody's joining us online this morning, but we're so glad that you could log in with us and we can worship together as the scattered church. As Pastor Nate mentioned, uh, this is Advent. So this is the season where the church historically uh, walks through this map of hope and joy and peace and love as God reminds us what it looks like to wait on him and that his work is actually worth waiting for. So we're going to be in Luke uh, this whole series, excited about that. So today uh, you can just pull out Luke. We'll start in chapter one. We're really going to focus on our call to worship today, which is called Zechariah's Prophecy. We'll get to that because in it we see lodged this hope that we're going to speak of today. Uh, and that starts in, in chapter 1, verses 68 through 79. So we'll, we will get there, but we're going to walk through this together and get caught up in the story. And here's what I know uh, that we're going to see in this text, and you feel it because we, we just, we know this. We're not good at waiting. Um, we were even delayed a little this morning on our, our live stream, right? And we were not good at waiting. We, we're not good at doing that. We are impatient people. Um, we don't like it when our browser doesn't load on time. I don't like it that I have to wait until next Friday for another episode of The Mandalorian. I'm just going to tell you that right now. It bothers me. Um, we don't like waiting for a spouse or for a job or for a house. We are impatient and we focus on that. And there's something inside of us that just can't do it. And there's maybe a lot of reasons for that, uh, why we are not good at waiting. I think Scripture even teaches us uh, one of those reasons. Proverbs 12, I think it is, 13, or no, 13, 12, got it backwards. Uh, it says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. So there's something about waiting uh, that can just devoid us of all hope, that can make us sick. And I think part of that is we just, um, it drains us of hope. Once you wait long enough, you get to the assumption that it's not going to happen. Like, the thing that I'm hoping for is never going to come. See, Advent turns that around. Because not only has Jesus arrived, not only is Jesus living, he is what we wait for. So our text today, and this is where hope goes, is going to teach us that God's work is worth waiting for. Believe that. We see this in the Advent. Everybody's wondering when God's going to act, but it teaches us God's work is worth waiting for. In your life, the thing that you just can't wait for, the thing that you've lost hope for, underneath all of it, somewhere, you're really waiting for God to show up in your life. So we're going to go there today. Advent reminds us God's work is worth waiting for. So this week is hope on the traditional church calendar. So how we will see this in the text, how we will understand that God's work is worth waiting for, is by looking at the hope that he gives us. And the hope that we find in this Advent, the hope that we find in Zechariah's prophecy, is three very clear things. First, it's a bold hope. Many times we anchor our hope to weak things, to small things, to things that honestly will help us in the temporary but not get us to the eternal. So this is a bold hope. It's a beautiful hope. 
How many times do we anchor our lives to things that then disappoint us? So life devolves into just not finding a way not to be disappointed over and over and over. So this hope is bold. It's beautiful, right? So it brings a beauty with it. And it's beyond us. It's something that you cannot get outside of God's amazing work in Christ Jesus. So we're going to walk through that today. So before we jump into the text, uh, before we narrate that and get caught up in this birth narrative of Jesus, let's go to the Lord and ask for his blessing. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are with us. Um, This is not just a story or a remembering, Lord. We are being pulled in by your text today into your hope, which is embodying in the person and the work and the return of Jesus. So we thank you for that, Lord. As we come before you, we are your people. We need hope. Maybe this season of stress, of frustration, of illness is teaching us how much we need the hope that you offer. So our ask this morning is that you would be with us, that you would open up your word, that we might behold its treasure, and that we might worship you with full hearts, Lord, and glorify you in all that we do. In the name of Jesus, amen. So the hope that God offers in Advent is a bold hope. I'm going to catch us up, and I'll make an ask of you today, this week, Uh, Kids, get your parents to do this with you. Everybody, I want you to read sometime this week, Luke chapter 1, all the way through to where Zechariah's prophecy is, uh, verse 68. Catch up in the narrative. Now, I'm going to keep us up to date on what's happening in this story so that we can really stick with it, but I encourage you to reread it this week. So the one thing that you need to know is that God shows up in the middle of hopelessness. So as Luke chapter 1 starts, we find two primary characters. One is Zechariah, and one is his wife, Elizabeth. And God's hope comes to them in the middle of hopelessness. Let me just read uh, chapter 1, verse 5 here. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So as Luke opens up, he opens up with the birth narrative, not of Jesus, but of John the Baptist. And there's this interplay between the birth of John and the birth of Jesus, who are actually related. So uh, it, that, that's great and interesting. We could talk a lot about that. But what he wants you to see, what Luke wants us to see, is that God's hope enters into the middle of hopelessness. So ha- here we have this priest, Zechariah, and here we have his wife, Elizabeth. They are both uh, from good families. They both are righteous before God. They've both ran the race well, and it seems like they've been rewarded with a fruitless life. They do not have a child. Uh, They desperately want one. Zechariah's prayed for it, and they don't have it. So there's a hopelessness because she's out of time. It's too late for them to have a child. And so here's what happened. As Zechariah is ministering 
to God in the temple, uh, and the priest would do this. He drew a lot, and it was his turn to go into the holy place and burn incense. It was probably the afternoon one that corresponded with the evening prayers, so there would have been people at the temple. He goes inside to burn incense, which in many ways represented uh, people being interceded for before God, and he meets an angel. Gabriel shows up. And Gabriel says this, and I'm just going to pick up in verse 12. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you should call his name John. So God gives this message to Zechariah, and Zechariah wants to verify that. And so he says later, how will I know? How will I know what you're telling me is going to happen? Because if you, Gabriel, let me catch you up. Elizabeth's too old for a baby. And Gabriel's response, the archangel, says, here's how you're going to know. You're not going to talk anymore. I'm going to shut your mouth until the time that this comes forward. Seems harsh, but wow, does God really get our attention in that. So he, God enters into this hopeless situation, and he not only promises Zechariah and Elizabeth a child, but this is going to be the child that will prepare us to receive Jesus. So this hope is bold because it comes into the middle of situations that are hopeless. Secondly, it enters into absolute powerlessness. As we switch over, um, we're not going to read the whole narrative, but as, this, as it switches over from the birth of John to the birth of Jesus, you see the same angel, Gabriel, show up to Mary, and we know this story, but just to remind you, he tells her that she also will bear a child. Now, if there's anybody in this narrative that has zero power, it's going to be Mary, probably a teenager, young. Um, she is not actually married at this point. Uh, there's going to be all kinds of suspicion, and she chooses to believe Gabriel. She has no power in this circumstance, but here's what Gabriel tells her. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren. Key, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed her. She chose to believe God. Her hope was wrapped up in what God had spoken to her through the angel Gabriel. So this hope shows up in the middle of hopelessness. It comes to those who are absolutely powerless, and it's very personal to them. Um, God is going to show up, not just an idea, not just in promise, but he's coming Personally, So let's jump into the, the verses that we read for our call to worship. This is personal because this is Zechariah. So what happens is um, when John the Baptist is born, we're fast-forwarding to that, they take him to be circumcised. Um, Zechariah still can't speak, and they ask Elizabeth, hey, what shall we call your child as we're going to circumcise him on the eighth day? And she says, John. 
and they check her, and they said, no, that's not a good name because nobody in your family is named John. So they turn to Zechariah, who can't speak, and he writes on some form of tablet, his name is John. And the Spirit of God comes upon Zechariah, and his mouth is loosed, and he speaks this beautiful blessing, this prophecy that we read for our call to worship. This starts out in verse 68 and says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has, past tense, visited and redeemed his people, and he has, past tense, raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of of David. So this hope is bold because this is no longer just something that is going to happen. In the speaking of Zechariah, he knows that the Messiah is here. He knows that the child that's in Mary's belly, Elizabeth's cousin probably, is the Messiah. He knows that his son John will not be the one, but will herald the one, will prepare the way for the Lord. So this is, this is the type of hope, this is the boldness that God brings to us, and this is God's work, and it's worth waiting for. Let me just ask you a question. Friends, and this is probably familiar to you. If you've ever been around church, you've heard this narrative. What devastates you today? What is just, what is, just, what is breaking your heart? What is it? Now, there might be a lot of good reasons for you to have a broken heart to be devastated in this season. We certainly know there's a lot of reasons in the world. There's sickness, um, there's political strife, economic strife. But what is breaking your heart? Let me tell you this. In this I used to pray for people. I had people come up to me and say, hey, man, and they're just devastated and they're weeping. And I'm like, what can I, you know, how can I pray for you? And say, well, I don't know. Like, I, I've been really trying to get into this industry, and I haven't. I, need, I really want this job, and I just have spent my whole life trying to get it. And I'm like, okay, that's great. That's, that's a good prayer. Let's pray together. I don't get those anymore. People are devastated because people have died in their family. People are devastated because they just don't have hope anymore. Friends, what devastates you is tied to what your greatest hope is. This hope is bold because it's beautiful. What God is bringing to us in the person of Jesus is rooted in what our greatest need is. And this work of God is worth waiting for. This hope is bold. So what is it that's breaking our hearts? What is it that consumes us is tied to what we hope most for? So let's continue on here and see how this hope isn't just bold, right? It just doesn't enter into hopelessness. It just doesn't enter into where there's no power. It's God alone who brings the solution, who brings um, salvation. It's also what your heart wants and what your heart needs. This is also beautiful. So uh, what do I mean by that? Well, it fulfills every promise that God has made to his people. The arrival of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, fulfills every promise he has made. Um, have you ever been disappointed? Just, let's just look in a way that we've all been disappointed. You ever show up at the rental car counter and they say, hey, you know, I rented, maybe I rented a convertible or a pickup or something like that, something I needed. And they say, hey, guess what? All we have is a small, tiny convertible. That's, or a small, tiny, compact car. That's all we have for you. And you're like, wait a minute, I made a reservation. I know we don't have it. You're disappointed. Or we don't have enough seats in the plane, so we're going to have to pump you to the next one. You have learned to live with disappointment. And one of the ways that you do that is you manage expectations. 
So you have to understand this. Jesus is not a consolation prize in this story. He is the point. Jesus is not something that God worked last minute to fix what was broken. He was always the point. Jesus is the gift. Let me read to you in verse 70 of our text. It says, As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, that the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. Friends, what is this covenant? What is this promise that God has made to his people, to Israel, to Zechariah, to Elizabeth, to even John the Baptist, to us if we are trusting in him? The promise that he alludes to is in Genesis 12, and it's summed up in the beginning of Genesis 12, I think verse 4 by this, in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. The way that the families of the earth are blessed in every age, in every season, in every place is through the arrival of Christ, through the arrival of the true king. And this is both personal and political. This both frees people from death, from Satan, from evil personally and brings salvation personally. And also it's political in this way. Israel is waiting for a true king. And Jesus is that true king, even today, for all who will trust in him. But how is it beautiful? That almost feels bold. How is this beautiful? Well, verse 74 goes on. That we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Friends, this blessing that Zechariah was speaking over his son John, speaking about Jesus, you are not in Christ, you are not just freed from sin. You are freed to worship. You are freed to be in the presence of God. You are freed to worship him in righteousness and in holiness. It's not enough to be let out. It's not enough to walk out of prison. You are called to, this is what we are all called to do, to worship God before his face, to live our life as an act of worship, as a sacrifice of praise to him. And so this, this prophecy picks up on that, that Jesus doesn't just release us, but releases us, frees us, to serve the Redeemer, to worship God, that all of life might matter. That, friends, is beautiful. That we will serve God, as the text says, without fear, in holiness and in righteousness. Again, it's not ours. It's the holiness of righteousness of Christ that we receive by a gift. But also he cleanses us and removes the stain of sin that we might actually walk before God the way he calls us to, all of our days. This is what is beautiful about that. Let me, um, let me read to you a quote out of Mere Christianity from C.S. Lewis. It speaks to this idea of worship. 
He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And he goes on to call this forward-facing nostalgia. If you have that suspicion in hearing this story and understanding what hope is in Christ, that it reminds you of a place you've never really been. It reminds you of an acceptance you've never really experienced. It reminds you of a food that you've never really tasted. This is the hope that we're getting to. This is how it's beautiful. It pulls to our heart's deepest need to know, to love, to serve, and to enjoy God eternally. See, this work is worth waiting for. This hope in Advent is bold. It comes from God alone. It's beautiful. It pulls to our deepest need to be freed from sin, to be reconciled to God through the work in Christ. And lastly, it's beyond us. This hope is beyond us. Um, don't miss this. This hope is rooted in God's mercy. It says in verse 77, or actually 76, And you, child, now this prophecy speaking of John the Baptist, will be called the prophet of the Most High, and you shall go before the Lord, that is Jesus, to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, don't miss that. That, that word tender mercy really speaks to almost your, your internal organs. The point is this. In, God, in sending God the Son, God the Father is not doing it detached from the situation or detached from what you are, where you are and what you need. He has deep compassion for you. He understands the tyranny of sin. He understands where you're at and what you need. And he sends Christ to us, our hope, in great and deep mercy. And one of the reasons it's so full of mercy is because, friends, this is beyond your reach. You're never going to forge forgiveness in your own. You're never going to be able to fix or repair what is broken. That's only going to take, that's going to take God alone. Only he can do that. Only our Redeemer can do that. And the text goes on. It says, Whereby, because the tender mercy of our God, verse 78, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. The text uses this image of Christ being like sunlight, being like a twilight. If you've ever um, been waiting for daylight, if you've ever wanted that new day to come very bad for whatever reason, when you see the twilight, which is the time before the sun actually breaks crest and you can see it, what happens is the sun starts to diffuse in the atmosphere and you start to get a little light. And here's what you know by that. A new day is here. That twilight is evidence of the new day. And this is what the text is saying. John the Baptist is going to be a herald to prepare us, to prepare Israel to receive this new day that comes 100% by the work of Christ. Jesus is that light. He is the sun that brings not just illumination, but brings us that new day. Friends, if you've ever had that experience, um, I've seen this so many times because of what I used to do for a living. 
Once in a while, planes break, and you're sitting at the gate, and you're waiting for that plane. And many times you're told, don't go anywhere. Don't get a cup of coffee, because maybe we'll fix the tire in 10 minutes. And you're thinking, yeah, right, it usually takes about two hours. And so this happens so much. You leave, the plane gets fixed, and you're not at the gate, right? You're gone. Or you fall asleep because it's been so long. See, John the Baptist, his role was to herald the grace of God. He was to say the Lamb of God is here. This is his role. In many ways, this is our role today. Man, don't get left at the gate. Don't lose awareness of what God is doing. Don't grow weary of waiting for God's work in your life because you can look backwards and see this work is begun and really finished in the work of Jesus, the Son of God come born in, written into the story of humanity, born of a virgin, Mary, heralded by John the Baptist, grew up, lived a life fully faithful to God, went to the cross to bear our sin, to give us a hope of full reconciliation, of walking before the face of God in holiness and in righteousness that all of life might be worship. Friends, there is no hope that you have access to that will bring that type of relationship with God and with anybody else, quite frankly. This is what Jesus brings. This is the work that is worth waiting for, and this is the hope that Advent brings. So don't wait. Here's our call. Don't wait to walk in this hope. Don't wait. Maybe you're like, I don't have that hope. I've never trusted Jesus. Trust him. Trust him. The text even says he will guide you. I don't know everything I need to know. Trust him. And friends, if you are trusting in Jesus, make him known. Right? A point to that hope. All of your life matters if you're trusting in Jesus. It doesn't matter what your age is. It doesn't matter who you are. Everything matters. You, through Christ, you get to stand before God the Father in holiness and in righteousness, and everything you do matters, so make it matter. Don't waste your time. Wait for what God has for you. Everything matters. So God's worth, friends, this is Advent. This is hope, this Sunday. God's work is worth waiting for. And this Advent brings us a hope that is bold. He brings it in the midst of darkness. It's beautiful. It's what your heart is looking for today. And it's beyond you. Jesus, the only way you're going to get it is through trusting in Christ. And let's push it forward that people might see this Jesus that we know. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. Um, we do praise you that this is a hope that we cannot get on our own. This is a hope that we have no access to outside of the gracious, merciful work of being born into this humanity, that you might be our redeemer and that you might free us to serve you and to know you and to love you. Lord, there's a lot of reasons for us this season to not have hope. There's a lot of reasons for us to give up. Lord, you have reminded us your work is worth waiting for. So let us do that. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.